we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning. We finished chapter 5 last week. And what we're going to be looking at this week in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is how to be a high-impact player for God. Now, what we talked about last week, uh, chapter 5 verse 20 told us our job. Our job as followers of Christ is to be ambassadors for Christ, right? As, uh, God, as though God were making an appeal through us, we, and we, we saw that verse, uh, we're supposed to be begging people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled with God through Christ. And we saw that our, our ambassadorship as ambassadors for Christ is, is we go to people that are in darkness, and we help them find the light through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw the gospel last week, too, that last verse of chapter 5, great nutshell, uh, one verse, the whole gospel, it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Simply put, the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to take your sin on the cross and to die on the cross for your sins. And if you believe in him, you can be saved and you can be right with the holy God. We saw last week as we went through that chapter, we saw some ingredients of being good ambassadors for Christ. Remember what they were? Let's go back and review a second. What were some of those ingredients? First of all, if we're going to be good ambassadors for Christ, then we've got to be people that keep our eye on the prize. And the prize is what? Heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, we learned last week. And we have uh, soon and very soon, we're going to be through these 70, 80 years of this life, and we're going to be in heaven, and we're going to be rewarded for what we do for Christ here on earth. We're not going to be saved by what we do, but we will be rewarded in heaven. We talked about that last week. We saw last week, too, that if we're going to be good ambassadors for Christ, we have to live for Christ and not yourself. Because Paul said, it's his chief ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's a part of being good ambassadors. We don't live for self anymore. We live for Jesus. We live for his kingdom. And then we saw last week, too, the importance of not only keeping our eye on the prize and living for Christ, not ourselves, but also live a new life. We get rid of the vomit and the darkness in the old life, and we go to the new life of light and truth and righteousness. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a what? New creation. The old is, old is gone, the new has come. And then we also saw last week the importance of not only living a new life, but also it's very important that if we're going to be in this newness of life, we have a job to do. We're, we're part of people being reconciled to the Holy God. We have, Paul said last week, we have the ministry of reconciliation. That's our job. We, we help people that are at enmity status with God. They're separated from a holy God. We bring them the gospel of peace, and then we help them cross the barrier to become now friends of God and righteous because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Big job. So Paul's going to elaborate some more in this next chapter. He's going to give us six more keys to being a high-impact player for God as an ambassador for Christ. Why do I say high-impact player? Because in the NFL, um, what, what, what we see is, in you know, many of the sports professional arenas, we see that one high-impact player can change a whole team. I remember seeing it. When I was in uh, my last church I pastored, it was in a place called Oshkosh, Wisconsin. There really is an Oshkosh Bagash. I live there. And we started this church, and as we were starting the church, I've never seen more fanatical fans than Green Bay Packer fans. I'm sorry, Gamecock fans, Tiger fans, you're, it's nothing compared to the fanaticism that's in Wisconsin with Green Bay Packers. It's crazy. I mean, people, you get in big trouble with people if you cheer against the Packers in the cheesehead states. It's crazy. But uh, I'll never forget when we first moved there as pastoring, and Green Bay for years 
had been mediocre. And then they got a new coach. His name was Mike Holmgren. And Mike came in with a flurry and he said, we're going to change this whole culture. We're going to go from being mediocre to being a great team. And he knew he had to do one thing. He had to get a high-impact player. And so he went after one guy to change the whole culture of the whole team. You remember who he was? No, it wasn't Brett Favre. You know who it was? Reggie White, the master of defense, the sack killer of the whole NFL. And I remember, I remember that whole process, literally, this is a true story. Mike Holmgren started talking, and uh, the, 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 probably the year we moved there, all of a sudden, Reggie White was a free agent. So Mike Holmgren started recruiting Reggie White. And you know what he did? He started not only calling him, but he started just everything he could to get him, telling Reggie, you come, we'll be a Super Bowl team within years. If you come, because you're a high-impact player, you come, we'll get other players that'll come because you come, you'll have the influence, the whole team will change. And you know what Reggie White said to him? He said, I'll pray about it. He's a Christian. Reggie White is a Christian. But Reggie White didn't like 40 below windchill factors, which Green Bay is, all went along. And so he said the typical line of many Christians, I'll pray about it. When many times when Christians say I'll pray about it, it usually means no. And so he just said, I'll pray about it. And Mike Homer kept calling him, kept calling him, kept calling him. And finally, uh, he started thinking as a coach, okay, he's praying about it. And one time he called him, the last time he called him was he called him and he got his answer machine. This is back in the day when they had answer machines, not just voicemails on your cell phone. And he called him and he got his answer machine. And you know what he said to Reggie White? He said, Reggie, this is God. Go to Green Bay. Hung up. True story. And you know what? Reggie went to Green Bay. And he went to Green Bay Packers. And the next thing you know, you're getting Brett Favre, you're getting all these other great players because he had one high-impact player. Difference that one individual could make to influence a whole group of people. And you know what? That's what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be high-impact players, ambassadors for Christ, that we influence a whole culture around us. And we bring other people on board with us, and they become high-impact players too, and the whole world around us changes because of the influence of being an ambassador for Christ. I saw it firsthand when I was on a high school gymnastics team in Oak Park River Forest High School. One guy, his name was Bruce Barkley, I talk about him all the time, because he led me to Christ because of his ambassadorship on that team. And it was amazing. Guys started dropping like flies. Gus Vandervoort, you know, uh, Ron Propogio, I'd give you a list of 68 guys. This is 40 years ago. I'd give you a list of 68 guys on that team that all got personally saved because of the influence of one high-impact player on that team. And then, check this out, two or three of the coaches on that team got saved too because one ambassador for Christ came on that team and was a witness for Jesus Christ and in- influenced the world around him. We're supposed to be high-impact players for Christ, amen? So we're going to learn six more things this morning how we can do that. You ready, church? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Let's jump right in. It says, working together with him. With who? With God. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, question. How do you receive the grace of God in vain? By not doing what God's called you to do after you get saved. We're not supposed to just occupy space here on this planet after we come to Christ. We've got a job to do. Influence others for Christ, to be an ambassador for Christ. 
Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't be selfish with this gift of eternal life. We're supposed to pass it on. Pass it on. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, I want you to see something here in these first couple of verses. The first key that has to be, if we're going to be a high-impact player and influence the world around us, we need to realize we're on a mission. We're working together with him. We're in this partnership, and we're not being an ambassador for Christ alone. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that have commanded you. Listen to this. And then he said, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the the age. So who are we doing this with? We're not alone. We're doing it with our partner, Christ. And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Don't ever think you're doing this alone. He's giving you the power of the Spirit in his presence as you go to be a witness. That's why he says, hey, when you don't know what to say, let the Spirit of God speak through you. The Spirit will speak words, and you'll be an ambassador for Christ. But also in those verses, a part of the mission that we're on, we have to have a sense of urgency. Look what it says in verse 2 again. Now is the acceptable time. Now. Two times it says now. Now is the day of salvation. Amen? And so what it's saying there is in our mission, to realize we're not alone. We have a baby saying amen to that right there. We're not alone. Christ is with us. But also, we have to have a sense of urgency in what we're doing. Because soon and very soon, our 70, 80 years are up, and we only have one life to live. It'll soon be passed. And only what we do for Christ is going to last. 1871. D.L. Moody, preaching at his church in Chicago, Illinois. Name of his message that Sunday night was, what are you going to do with Jesus? He was an evangelist, incredible evangelist. One of the, he was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. And as he was preaching, what are you going to do with Christ? He was tired, had services in the morning, it was a Sunday night, and at the end of this message, he, instead of giving an altar call, he's feeling led to do an altar call to respond to that message, what are you going to do with Christ? He didn't give the altar call said, hey, come back next week, next Sunday, and then make the decision, what are you going to do with Christ? That week, they had the Chicago fire. A hundred city blocks of Chicago were burned to the ground. Thousands of people died, including a number of people from his church that were there the Sunday night before. And he didn't know all their statuses in regards to whether they were right with God or not. D.L. Moody made a commitment from that time on to have an urgency. And when he was doing a message on what are you going to do with Christ, he, he gave an altar call from then on. And he actually, to this day, I'm told you could go to the pulpit at Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois, which is still a great church in the heart of the city of Chicago. And on his pulpit is engraved these words we're studying right now. Now is the acceptable time for salvation. Now is the day to be reconciled with God. Basically, that scripture in verse two, right there, again, at the acceptable time, listen to you, on the day of salvation, help you, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. That verse, now, is engraved on the pulpit at Moody Church to this day. As a reminder, have an urgency. Have an urgency in our witnessing for Christ. 
When I was in college, I was a, a part of a political science class, and I developed a friendship with a guy that sat next to me. His name was Paul, and we sat next to each other, and we traded notes. We helped each other try to pass the class, and I liked the guy, but he was lost, really lost. He's part of a fraternity, and fraternities at University of Illinois, they started on Thursday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. It was game on, party, drunkenness, crazy immorality kind of stuff, and um, so the Lord was leading me to witness to Paul. But I always kind of pushed it away because I was you know, 19 years old and I liked the guy and I knew as soon as I started witnessing to him he was going <clears> to <throat> put walls up to me and stuff. So I put it off, I put it off, put it off. And then one Monday I came to class, Paul wasn't there. And so I asked one of his fraternity brothers after the class in the hallway outside of the classroom, I said, where's Paul? I mean, we sit together all the time, where's Paul? His mouth dropped a little bit like this and he goes, you didn't hear? I go, no. He said, there was a boating accident this weekend, and Paul died. I remember from that day forward, I go, oh, Lord, if you're leading me to share Christ with somebody from this day forward, I made a commitment. I'm not going to put it off, because today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Now. See that urgency? We need that in our evangelism and our being ambassadors for Christ. Amen. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul set an example. This is urgent, this mission we're on to be ambassadors of Christ. Verse three, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and afflictions and hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tolments and labors and sleeplessness and in hunger. Now here's, here's the second thing. We need to have a, we're on a mission, we're not alone. Christ is with us on that mission. We need to have an attitude. This is urgent. But also, if you're going to be good ambassadors for Christ, listen, you need to be a servant. Look at what Paul says there. We are servants of God. And in your servitude, he says, be willing to sacrifice. As an ambassador for Christ, you're willing to sacrifice and you're serving God and people. Paul, again, says, in our servitude of people, in this ambassadorship of Christ, we've endured afflictions, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tolments, labors, sleeplessness, hunger. Now, I think here in the United States, it's so easy to be a Christian. Sometimes we forget that we're in a servant status of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we forget that a part of being a true servant for Christ is we're willing to take some heat for it. We're willing to take some sacrifice for that. You know what? Again, we only have one life to live, man. And it'll soon be passed. And only what we do for Christ is going to last. And a part of being a true ambassador for Christ is we will be willing to make some sacrifices in our servanthood of, of Christ. We'll be willing to, you know, the Bible says all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you willing to do that? We got Christians in other countries that are going into like northern India when we had the gospel for Asia, missionaries come and share it. They said that they said that their missionaries, their pastors are going into cities in northern India that are militantly against uh, Christians to the point that before they go into the city to plant a church for gospel of Asia, they take a shovel and they dig a hole outside the city. You know why? Because they want to make sure their grave is ready, because very likely they're gonna be killed for their servanthood of Christ in that city. And we're a little bit ashamed to take a little insult or alienation or ridicule because we're taking a stance for Christ? Come on. 
You know, one of my guys that I like is, um, is uh, Tim Tebow. Talking about football this morning. I think we're in football season or something. Maybe that's why I'm thinking about him right now. But, but one of the reasons why I like Tim Tebow, he's, a, he's, he's incredibly talented. He's gone now from professional football to baseball, but he's a servant. You know, when he was playing in Florida, uh, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, and all his buddies were going at spring break to go party in Panama City or Fort Lickerdale or whatever it is. Fort Lauderdale. But when all his buddies on the football team were going to party at spring break, you know what he did? He got on a plane with his dad on his spring breaks, and he flew to the Philippines to minister to orphanages, to inspire them, these orphan kids, and to preach the gospel to them. He did that time after time in his spring breaks. It's a college student because he was a servant and he wanted a sacrifice. Then he went into the NFL and became a uh, starting quarterback for Denver Broncos. And you know what he did, did before games as a Denver Broncos starting quarterback? He started a foundation for kids that were special need kids, and he'd bring the kids to the sidelines before the game started, take pictures with them, give them a football, and just make, be the highlight of their life. Tim Tebow, NFL football player, being buddies with them on the sidelines. Amazing. Servant of God. Willing to sacrifice. Not thinking even about the game, thinking about that Down syndrome or special need kid before the game would even start because he wanted to sacrifice and be a servant like Paul. As an ambassador for Christ. I went with a couple of men from the church uh, last summer when he transitioned to professional baseball. His first team as a professional baseball player was right here at Columbia Fireflies. And so we were there for the first game, the first time up at bat for the Columbia Fireflies. And we're sitting there watching Tim Tebow, and he doesn't look like a baseball player at all. He's 265, you know, 6'1", oh, looks like a horse. He gets up there to bat, and his first bat, as first game of professional baseball, he hits it out of the park. The whole stadium erupted, Wow, like this, you know? But you know what impressed me the most about Tim Tebow when he came to Columbia? He got permission from the baseball owners of the Fireflies that after every game he played, a home game, he would, after the nine innings, hot, humid summer nights, whatever, he'd go back out in the field with a microphone and preach the gospel to whoever would stay and listen to him. That's a servant who's willing to make sacrifices as an ambassador for Christ. That's what we're called to do too, Amen? Servants. We're servants of God, willing to sacrifice, even if it means some cost to us, because what does it gain for a man, or what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? You know, we're we're willing to do some sacrifices because, hey, it's part of being a servant for Christ, and that's what Paul's talking about here, beatings, imprisonments, tolments, labors, sleepless hunger. I'm willing. It's a servant of God to sacrifice. Verse six, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness. Now he's talking about some of the character qualities that are in ambassadors for Christ. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness in the Holy Spirit, genuine love, and the word of truth and the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Here's the next thing. If you're going to be an ambassador for Christ, you need the character of Christ. You need to be growing in these areas that we're talking about. Purity, knowledge, patience. Oh, I'm still working on that one. Or, excuse me, the Lord's still working on that within me as a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. Kindness needs to be in Christians if we're going to represent Christ well. Kindness. Genuine love. Hmm. Now, question how do we get there? How do we grow in kindness in an unkind world? 
How do we grow in purity in a dirty world? How do we grow, grow in genuine love when it's all fakey, phony love around us? How do we grow in these character qualities to represent Christ well? We're told right there. By the power of the Spirit and the word of truth. That's it right there in those verses. It says, in the word of truth and the power of God by the weapons of righteousness. The weapons that get us these Christ-like qualities of patience and purity and genuine love and being more like Christ is two things. What we're doing right now, the word of truth and the power of the Spirit. I, I, I like to liken it to an airplane, right? If we're gonna fly an airplane, you need two wings. If you're gonna fly as a Christian, and have the character qualities we need in our lives as Christians. We need one wing of the word of truth. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to the word, that word of, I treasure my heart that I might not sin against thee, Psalm 119, 911, the word of truth that needs to be in place. We need to be people of the word that are reading, meditating, studying, hearing God's word. It will bring Christ-like character in our lives. But there's another part. It's the other wing of the spirit. The power, the power of the spirit needs to be in our lives. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And the thing I love about Calvary Chapel, and I'm a Calvary Chapel guy, is I think our movement of churches emphasizes both. We're about the word of truth. We're about the word of God. We're about getting people into the word so they can become more like Christ. But we're also about the spirit. We need both to fly. We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's not by our might nor by our power. It's by God's spirit. And as we're dependent on the spirit, we're dependent on the word, and we're flying as we wait upon the Lord to, to make us more and more like Christ. Beautiful. So it goes on, verse eight. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true. These are paradoxes now. These are things that are together that seem contrary. As unknown, yet well known. As dying, yet behold we live. As punished, yet not put to death as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor but making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. A part of being an ambassador for Christ is not only are you gonna be someone that's a servant on mission with urgency, having Christ-like character, but you're willing to put up with the paradox of living in a dirty, dark world and being messengers of truth and light. There's paradoxes involved with that. Part of the paradox is go back again. There's gonna be glory. <laughs> There's nothing more glorious than being a witness for Christ and seeing people touched by God's spirit and come into the light. That's glory. But there's also gonna be dishonor. People are gonna give you a hard time and the dishonor of being persecuted because all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a paradox, too, of there's going to be evil reports and good reports. What does that mean? It means there's going to be some people that just think high of you and say good things about you because you're a follower of Christ, but there's other people that are just going to lie about you and slander you and give evil reports because darkness does not like the light. They're offended by it. There's also the paradox of some people who say, yeah, what they're saying is true. Other people say, oh, they're liars. They're deceivers. Those Christians, oh, they're a bunch of, bunch of liars. There's going to be... Also, look at what Paul says about this other paradox, verse nine. He was unknown, yet well-known. What does that mean? It means that when he came to Christ, he went into obscurity within his Jewish world. He did. He was, a, he was on the Sanhedrin, ruling 70 elders of the whole nation of Israel. He was, he was a famous leader within Israel, to the point when they, 
when they, when they killed the first martyr, Stephen, before they killed Stephen, they took Stephen's robes, put it up Paul's feet, and he gave hearty approval, his approval for the killing of the first, uh, first martyr of the New Testament church. He was well known. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews, well known. But then he came to Christ, and he went into obscurity. He went into Arabia. I read it in Galatians this morning in my quiet time. He went off to the desert. He went to Damascus. And then he just went back to his hometown, Saul of Tarsus. Went back to Tarsus and became an unknown. But he says he was well known. Well known by who? Not the Jews anymore. Well known by hell. Did you know that? We know the story in Acts chapter 19 of the seven sons of Sceva wanted to be exorcists of this demon-possessed man. They went into this house where this demon-possessed man was at, and they, they said, hey, by the, by the Jesus this Paul preached about, uh, he said to the, the seven sons said to this one demon-possessed man, you know, basically, by the Paul, I adjure you by Jesus, the one who Paul preached about, come out of this man. Remember the story? It's a great story, I love it. <laughs> the demons get this guy so worked up, he beats the crud out of all seven sons of Sceva, and, and he, the demons say to the seven sons, hey, we know Jesus, we know Paul, but who are you? And then they just beat the tar, the, the demon says, man, just beat the tar, all seven, guys, all seven guys went running out of the house naked. Can't wait to get to heaven to see that video of that whole thing. Rawr! Like this. And they were beaten up and naked. <laughs> What, what, was, what was that being, t- we're told there in Acts chapter, chapter 19, what's going on there is hell was very well acquainted with Paul. Why? Because he was making such a difference in the dark forces that people were gripped by that they were being set free and the demons knew Paul well. And that's why he said there, right there, as unknown yet well known, dying yet behold we live, punished but not put to death. Look at the paradox too, sorrowful, Yet always what? There's going to be sorrows in this world. In the, in the world around us, there's going to be sorrows because of the darkness around us. But we can always rejoice. Why? Because we have the Lord. What does Philippians 4, 4 say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We could be sorrowful, but we could always be rejoicing too. Poor, Paul had nothing. He relied on churches like Philippi just to meet his very sustenance needs. He was poor in this world, but he was making many rich. He had the privilege of leading so many to Christ throughout the whole Roman Empire that for the rest of eternity we're going to be saying thank you to him in heaven because they were saved because of his ministry. Hmm. Poor but making many uh, rich having nothing but possessing all things. You know what? If you're an ambassador for Christ, you got everything, man. Because you got heaven. You got forgiveness. You got grace. You got Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You have so many spiritual riches in Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us that we should be in a constant state of thanksgiving because of the wealth we have in Christ. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? So next time you think you got nothing, realize you got everything in Christ because of that paradox, right? Poor in the world maybe, but possessing all things in Christ. Great. Let's go on now. Verse 11. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. 
Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, in our ambassadorship to you in Corinth, for being ambassadors of Christ, not only were we on a mission with urgency, not only did we have this, this character issue going on where we could see the character of Christ, not only were we in servanthood mode, not only were we dealing with paradoxes, but listen, here's what he says also. He says, we were open with you. Look what he says there. We opened our heart wide to you. And we want you now to be open with us also. That's what he's saying. If you want to be a good ambassador for Christ, you've got to be vulnerable you need to be authentic, and you need to open up your heart to people and be honest. What's the number one reason, or one of the number one reasons why people, when you invite them to church, don't come? Well, one, one of the main reasons is because that, those preachers are always talking about money, right? I'll come to church, and they're going to be, oh, money, I'm going to give the church more money. Hey, that's one reason, by the way, that we, the only time we talk about money here on Sunday mornings is when the Scripture talks about it, and then we'll just teach what the Scripture says. Besides that, we believe that first statement over there on that wall, where God guides what? God provides. We're just going to trust him for that. You're never going to be like this with money right here at Calvary Chapel. Where God guides, God provides. We believe in giving. It's an important part of our Christianity, but we trust the Lord in that area. But here's, what's another reason why many people won't come to church? All those Christians, they're a bunch of, there it is, there it is. And so the way we can overcome that and be ambassadors for Christ is be open, be honest. As Paul says, open your heart wide, just be transparent. Hey, listen, transparency works because the world sees a phony 100% of the times. But when they see sincerity and they see honesty and they see integrity and they see openness, that's a part of us being ambassadors for Christ. You know, that's one reason when I teach, a lot of times I'll share about struggles I have or dumb things I've done because I want you to know I'm just one beggar showing you beggars where the bread's at. I ain't, I'm not, uh, you know, some pontificating, you know, no, I'm just a sinner in need of a savior, man. I'm just a bald guy trying to get to heaven. By following Christ and living for him, right? And I want you to understand, I struggle the same way you struggle with. And that's what Paul says with Corinthians as an ambassador. He said, I opened my heart wide to you. I was honest. It's transparent. I was real with you guys. And we need to do the same for pe- people that are around us too. Listen, when I was starting our first church, I was 24 years old when we started our first church right out of seminary. And I started at Carlsbad High School, Southern California. And I remember it was, it was a challenge because I was... Back then, when I was 24, I had hair and I had a baby face. I'm serious. I had a full head of hair and a baby face, and I was 24 years old, and people would come and visit our church, and I'd greet them before the service, and they'd say, hey, oh, it's good to meet you. Where's the pastor? I am the pastor. And all these guys were older than me, most of the men coming to our church. It was a challenge. But I'll never forget, we had this one couple come, Bill and Phyllis Baker. They came to the very first service we had. It was Easter Sunday, um, 19... I think it was 86. No, 87, 1987. They came. Sharp, middle-aged couple. He, he actually, he didn't never been a part, part of a Calvary Chapel before, so he actually came with a suit. We don't wear suits, but he, he came with a suit, and he was a businessman. And he had his own company where he was selling large businesses in Southern California. He was a broker of large businesses. He was a wealthy man. He lived in La Costa, which was right on the golf course in, in the south part of Carlsbad. He came. 
And then I said, well, they're not coming back. I wasn't even wearing a suit. I mean, the people weren't wearing suits. He wore a suit. But then he came the next Sunday. Then they got involved with our church. And then they came to Christ. Got saved. I remember talking to Phyllis and Bill Baker several months in after we started the church and after one of the services, just talking to one. I said, I just need to know, when you visited and you kept coming, why did you keep coming to our church here? You know what he said? Or what she said, Phyllis Baker said. She said this, I'll never forget, this is like 30-some years ago. She said this, she said, I watch TV and I turn on some of those guys on TV, those televangelists, and I could tell they're phony and they're fake. And she said, you come every Sunday and you tell us about your mistakes, your stumbles, or whatever else, and just teach the word. And she said, and I can tell you're not fake. And I said, ooh, I'm, I'm getting a lesson here right now. Keep being real. Keep being authentic. Keep being honest, because it's a part of us leading people to Christ. Amen? And parents, please, listen, listen, listen. If you're trying to disciple your kids, be real and honest and genuine and authentic with them too in your ambassadorship to your kids. When you make a mistake, don't wash it up and pretend like it didn't happen. Be honest. If you need to ask them forgiveness, hey, I'm sorry, dad made a mistake. I was wrong. It's the hardest thing for us men to say sometimes. It's almost like you can't pronounce it. You know, I was wrong. Be honest, be vulnerable, be real, especially with people out there in the world because the biggest complaint they have about us as Christians is we're a bunch of fakes and we're not being honest when we struggle and we're not being transparent and that's a part of our representation of Christ is we're real, we're genuine, we're authentic. Amen, church? Amen. Okay, the next section is a section that's the proof text for not being missionary dating. Let's read it, okay? This is, this is the proof text right here for being not uh, dating people that don't know Christ. Look what it says, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership, this is 614, what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Bilal, that's Satan? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, <clears throat> I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be what? My people. Therefore, church ambassadors for Christ, therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I'll be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Simply put, Here's what Paul sent telling the Corinthians. Don't have partnership with unbelievers. And it starts with dating. And if you're single here, please listen. If you're single here, please listen. Please listen. If you're a believer in Christ, this scripture right here is telling you, don't get involved in a partnership and start dating someone that doesn't know Christ. Because if you start dating, get serious, and then get married, you're bringing together, it actually says don't be unequally yoked. You're getting in a yoke with someone that's in darkness, you're in the light. You're in righteousness, and they're in unrighteousness, and it's going to be a mess. And I've seen 32 years of ministry, I've seen it over and over and over and over again. Someone who's single, and they meet somebody, 
and they're the exception to the rule. <laughs> they said, Pastor John, you don't understand. He's nice. He treats me well. He'll, he'll, he'll start coming to Calvary Chapel even, but Pastor John, I, I, I'll lead him to Christ. Next thing you know, they're getting married. Next thing you know, she's back in my office six months later saying, whoa, what did I do? And then they start having kids, and one wants to take them to church, and the other one says, oh, that's, a, that's a hypocrites. We're not, don't go there. And then there's a battle even over the family, and it's a mess. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Don't be unequally yoked, please. And parents, listen to me. Parents, listen to me. Teach your kids this unapologetically. When my kids were growing up in our house, we had one rule of dating, 16. You can't date till you're 16. And then the second rule of dating, it's find someone that loves Jesus more than you do and settle with that. And you know, they broke the rules, my kids at times. But you know what? I was preaching that, man. I said, find someone that loves Jesus more than you do and stick with them. You know what? All four of them, in the end, did that. And it's wonderful now, because all four of my kids are married to strong Christians. They had two of my kids over yesterday to watch those tigers play. Ooh, tigers, go tigers. And we had uh, Jen and Ben, my daughter Jen and her husband Ben. And Ben is an on-fire Christian and it just thrills me because my daughter is married to someone that I actually respect and like. It's awesome. I didn't think that ever happened. It's awesome. It's awesome. And he loves the Lord. We talk about theology and Christ and Christianity all the time. It's wonderful. And John G., my oldest son, was with us yesterday for the Tiger game, and he's married to Kristen, who gave us our first grandbaby, Adele. Kristen loves the Lord, too. She just... She was just talking about the worship music she loves to fill her home with. Yesterday we were talking about worship music and stuff, and I'm going, praise the Lord. My kids, my kids are not being unequally yoked or bound together with unbelievers. We need to teach our kids to do that, amen? And listen, too, this isn't just talking about dating or marriage. It's talking about partnerships. If you've got a business, it's best not to get in a partnership with someone that doesn't love Christ. You know why? Because you've got a different paradigm. You've got a different view on life. And if you get in business and a partnership with somebody that doesn't think lying's wrong, if you're gonna make you some more bucks lying, you got a problem there. Because you're unequally yoked to someone who has different paradigm, different life view, different values, and isn't going by the word of God. Be careful. In any kind of partnership is what it's saying. Don't partner in close associations with people that don't know Christ. Now question, does this mean we should be in a holy huddle and have nothing to do with the world? No. What was Jesus called, his nickname? He was a friend of sinners. We're to be friends with people that are lost, but we don't get bound together in these close partnerships with them because it's unequally yoked. Interesting. Jesus talked about a yoke another time. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble heart, you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So instead of to unbelievers' partnership, who should we be ultimately partnered with? It's Jesus. You want rest for your souls. You want peace in your life. Don't get in these dark associations where you're unequally yoked with someone that doesn't love Christ. Rather, be yoked to Jesus. And if you're weary and heavy laden, you get that yoke of Jesus on, you're going to be going in the right direction because the lead then is going to be Jesus Christ. Interesting. Jesus' dad was called a carpenter. In the Greek, technon. 
And when it said that Joseph was a technot, it means he was a finished carpenter. He was a master carpenter. And master carpenters in that culture, it was agrarian, it was a farming culture, they, one of the main things they built was yokes. And they'd carve them and they'd put them on the oxen. And so Jesus had this picture in mind of something he worked on for 30 years, yokes. And back in Deuteronomy, it's interesting also, it said in Deuteronomy, it talks about don't put a yoke on an oxen that's going to be doing all this work and going in the right direction. Don't put a yoke on an oxen and then a donkey. Actually, the King James uses a different word. But it's saying if you put, if you put this yoke on an oxen and then a donkey, the oxen will go and try to get things done, and the donkey will and go the other way. It'll be frustrating. See the analogy? You get in partnerships with the people that don't love the Lord, and you're trying to go in the direction of getting something done for God in your life. And then they're going, like this, and they're going the other way. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be, like this. So don't be unequally yoked with people that don't love the Lord. But be a friend of sinners. Shine into their darkness. Just don't have your bestest friends be people that love Jesus too, because then they could spur you on to love and good deeds. Amen? So ultimately, this last, last characteristic of a good ambassador for Christ, one word I'll give you for it. Holiness. Holiness. And men, in two weeks, our men's conference is all going to be about this one word, holiness. We're going to learn how to be set apart, as, as we're told here in Corinthians. We're going to learn how to come out from the garbage of this world and be holy men of God, not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind that we approve the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to be having one of our key scriptures, 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 to 16. It says, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy. <clears throat> Why? Because God says, I'm holy. If you want to be a good ambassador for Christ, you, gotta, you, gotta, you can't be on the fence and have one foot in the world doing all the worldly stuff and then one foot in Christ going to church. That's called cultural Christianity. And it's, no, don't do that. Word, word we just read says be separate. Come out, man. Be different. And the next verse that we're going to study next week in chapter 7, verse 1 which really isn't separated because in the original manuscripts they didn't have chapters, but it flows right into this next verse. Chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting what? Holiness. In what? The fear of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that your word trains us in righteousness, Lord. Thank you that your word equips us and helps us to be those ambassadors you've called us to be, God. And Father, I pray that we put into action what we're learning here about being ambassadors for Christ. Help us to be people that are on a mission with a sense of urgency because now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation, Lord. Give us that urgency. Give us that fire in our souls, Lord, to be on this mission with you and bringing others from darkness to light, God. Father, I pray, too, that you'd help us to be people that are servants, <clears throat> people that are willing to sacrifice in our servanthood, Lord, because, Jesus, you sacrificed for us. 
And God, help us to be people, too, of the word of truth and the power of God so you can be building these characteristics of purity and patience and kindness and genuine love into our lives. Help us to be flying as Christians with the wings of the word of truth and the power of the Spirit and the power of God. Help us to, to, to be willing to face these paradoxes, too, Lord, of glory and dishonor and evil reports and good reports and unknown but well-known. Help us to be people that are willing to, even in our sorrow, always be rejoicing, realizing that as ambassadors, we might be poor, but we're making many rich. Help us to be people that even if we have nothing, we realize we possess all things in Christ. And lastly, Lord, help us to be people that come out from this world and are holy, that cleanse ourselves from the defilement of flesh and are perfecting holiness in our lives through the fearing you, God. God, help us not to be fake, phony Christians that are going to church on Sunday but not living it the rest of the week. Give us the power of the Spirit. We're not going to be perfect, Lord. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do dumb things at times. But help us to be seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness in our lives so that you could add all things unto us, Lord. Help us to be pursuing holiness, Lord. Pursuing those things of what you've called us to be and live in as Christians, Lord. Father, just work that in our hearts through the power of the Spirit and the word of your truth, Lord. Help us, even this week, help us to be people that are using those weapons of righteousness of the word of truth and the power of your Spirit in our lives, God. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.